1: Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And, you know, we like covering all kinds of different topics on this podcast related to talent development, whether it be recruiting, developing, enabling your people. We talk a lot about leadership and career development. And something we don't talk enough about, probably, is the barriers to accessing employment by untrained traditional or non-traditional talent or untapped talent, and that's the topic that we are going to talk about today. My guest today is Susan Mason, who is the principal of Susan Mason Consulting, an agency focused on the future of work, workforce development, and fair chance hiring initiatives for untapped talent. With a profound understanding of the lifetime economic impact of a conviction due to her own incarceration she has dedicated her career to advancing opportunities for people with conviction histories and formerly incarcerated talent or fit emphasizing their inclusion in the workforce miss mason has become a sought after subject matter expert on the collateral consequences of a conviction making an impact on public private and nonprofit organizations across various sectors Her innovative strategies and tools have been instrumental in driving meaningful change with organizations and society at large, and Ms. Mason has consistently demonstrated her ability to conceptualize and execute groundbreaking ideas, and she navigates complex challenges while consistently delivering measurable and sustainable value to her clients. Susan, welcome to the podcast.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: It's really great to have you here. I'm excited to dive into this we'll say non-traditional topic about untraditional talent because it's something that as soon as it came to my attention, you were, referred. We were introduced by our mutual friend, Christopher McCormick, who's been a guest on this podcast twice in the past and is also a, a DEI expert and advocate. And this was something I knew we needed to dive into, especially as so many companies are talking about having a talent shortage, talking about developing skills of the future and how do we find the best talent when they may not always be looking in the right places. So I'm excited to dive into this, but I'd love to start with a little bit of your background and your story for how you got to where you are today.
0: Yeah. So my story, yeah, my story uh, actually technically starts in childhood. I hate to say that, you know, Mm. but it's true. I had a pretty rough childhood and through it all, I struggled to kind of make my way. Right. And I was addicted to drugs and alcohol by 13. You know, I used alcohol to numb the pain that I was in, not realizing how it was going to harm me on the other end. And so I spent a lot of years building my life up and burning it down. Right. And so for years, it was alcohol. And then eventually the alcohol wasn't doing it anymore. And I became a drug addict. And that was all bad all the time. And and within four years of really jumping down the rabbit hole of drug addiction, I was on my way to federal prison. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And so when I got out in 2003, I was like, let me start over for good, right? Like, what do I need to do to be accountable? What do I need to do to be responsible for all of this? Because what I realized was at the bottom of all my tragedies, all of the disparate tragedies across mm-hmm. my life so far, I was the common denominator, mm-hmm. right? And I kept trying to like have the world be different. The world wasn't going to be different. I needed to be different, right? And so I entered into recovery, which was the best thing I ever did. I became abstinent from drugs and alcohol and just took off, right? And so what I didn't know was that accepting responsibility for your life, being accountable and doing everything that you need to do or, or are supposed to do wasn't enough, right? And so I, you know, I didn't expect to like, you know, be the CEO of a company the minute I got out, but I did expect to stay employed. I did expect to find work. I did expect to do all that. And Technically, I did in 2003, you know, I had been in residential lending before I had gone to prison. I had not, you know, violated the trust of any employer. And so I went back to my career in 2003, the refi boom was on in the US and I got hired while I was still in the halfway house. You know, six weeks out of prison by a guy named Henry Chu at West Coast Financial, and I was interviewing for his loan processor job, and he was very impressed with my old skills. He said, um, "You know, I I want to hire you. I've got a couple more questions. What's up with the gap in your resume?" And I said, "Well, Henry, I have something to tell you. Mm. I'm in a federal halfway house. I just got out of prison six weeks ago." And he's like, he sits back, Mm. he looks, and he goes, "Oh." And he thinks about it for a minute and then he leans forward and he looks at me and he goes, well, are you done with all that? And I said, yeah, Henry, I'm done with all that. And he said, oh, oh, I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it. Mm. And he said, "Um, okay, can you start Monday? And I said, I can. And again, off to the races. Great job, benefits, right? Like bonuses, the whole nine. And then, you know, I became a loan officer again, eventually. And then in 2006, the voters in the state of Washington implemented loan officer licensing. No felonies allowed.
1: Mm. And I ended
0: up losing my career. And then, of course, you know, when, when the law was implemented around 2007, you know, the economy was collapsing, right? So we enter in this great recession. And what I didn't know until I started to get into this work was that from- 9-11 9-11 on, we really started a campaign trying to keep ourselves state, safe, background checks, you know, denials of employment for people with convictions. Like the backlash was on us, mm. not on the people that had actually done 9-11, yeah, not right? the terrorists, and right. So, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I mean- we exploded the books. We had about 8,000 regulatory and occupational licensing laws on the books in the U.S. around 2001. And by 2006, six, seven, that was 48,000. Wow. And right now we've only repealed or amended about 5,000. So currently there's 43,000 regulatory and occupational licensing laws on the books here. And 30,000 30, of them affect employment, right? Um, and 83% of those are for life. And so like- how are people supposed to move on? And to my right. mind, that drives a, a talent shortage, right? No. So there I am. I'm struggling to stay employed during the recession. I finally find some work as a housing counselor. I'm saving people's homes from foreclosure. It's not a lot of money, but I can pay my bills and I am I like the job. I'm good at it. And I get laid off in 2015 because in Western Washington, where I lived in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. the you know foreclosure crisis was over, which is great. I'm glad, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't yeah. need a foreclosure crisis forever. And I thought uh oh I'm out 12 years though I'm real hopeful I'm out yeah. 12 years but I'm still like uh oh I got I got to find a job I got to go through this gauntlet again it's going to be right. fine though 12 right. years is a long time to be out
1: yeah
0: it wasn't and so wow. I right away I got hired by US Bank uh in their uh, underwriting department and they it was contingent on a background check and I called them I said you know here's what's on there I've been out for 12 years this is all the things I've done mm-hmm. here's my you know my references my resume and all that and they're like you know, pull the background check. And they said, we can't hire you, you know, are mm. the regulatory barriers, you know, SEC guidelines, all these other, you know, rules preclude us from hiring you. And I was super sad. And that HR lady and I, we both cried together. And she mm. said, I, in this offer, oh, so I'm looking for work, looking for work. And, you know, over and over, people are like, you're exactly what we want. And I'd say, wait a minute, do you hire people with felony convictions? They're like, oh, no, absolutely no. not. I, even though I'd been out 12 years and working. Right. right. So I was like, oh, this industry doesn't want me. What am I going to do? So I apply for a role at a local union in Seattle, SEIU 775. I apply for a political organizer position and I go through rounds of interviews with all these other people. I'll tell you what, going through this experience has made me very good in an interview.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, silver lining, silver lining, always a silver line. Right. So I, I'm offered the job contingent on a background check. So I call them up and I say, here's what's on there. I've been out for 12 years. You know, here's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, don't worry about it. We're looking for murder or arson. And I'm like, that's not me. So five weeks later, I show up on the first day of work and they won't let me upstairs. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, the HR director just pulled your background check this morning, this morning. And uh, she wants to send you home and give you a call later and chat about it. And I said, okay, so I leave. I mean, there's other person i was with was standing there with me the other new hire and it Mm. was leading and so i go home she calls me that afternoon she grills me like i'm a criminal right and she could not see me for who i was the fact that i had been to prison was too much for her she said i just can't take the chance that was in 2015 i've been out 21 years now Mm. so she could have taken the chance right and so It just seemed really arbitrary. Like I'm going in front of unlicensed, untrained judges in the form of HR recruiters or directors or whoever, right, that are reconvicting me for a debt I'd already paid. I was sentenced to 15 months in federal prison, a $30,000 fine, and three years of probation, right? And I'd done all that. And so here I was, time after time after time, even though I was otherwise qualified, having jobs rescinded, that I was, you know, like that I deserved, I feel, mm. right? And the deal is, is like, you know, how what do you want from me? Did she want 13 years? Well, I made it to 13 years. I actually made it to 21, right? Mm. And U.S. Bank, it's like they lost an employee, right? And I lost out on, you know, what has it been, nine years of salary, benefits, contributions mm-hmm. to my retirement, right? All these other things, you know, like, and they lost out on that too. Yep, And so- I was like, time out. I'm not doing this anymore, right? Like it's 12 years, not enough. What do you want? And so I started to get involved in this work and I thought, well, what's going on out there? What? Why are people, you know, what's the deal? And so I ended up starting a nonprofit, co-founding a nonprofit in 2017. And I ran that nonprofit. It was based on workforce development for formerly incarcerated talent. I ran it for six years and merged it. With a nonprofit in Baltimore, and then I started my own consulting business, and I'll let you go to the next question because I could go on, yeah, a well, lot, I mean, well, lot the last twenty one years,
1: right? I, so I love your story because you you really illustrate through personal experience, like the challenge that is going on, right? For organizations to be able to hire great talent because there are there were many people along the way that were like, "Ah, you're perfect. We can't wait to hire you." And then yeah. their organization told them, "No, you can't." Obviously it's yeah. impacted you negatively. And yeah. this impacts society as well, right? Because you've got people coming out of prison who are otherwise talented and, and want to contribute to society. Everybody's different. And now they can't. And we you can see easily, and I've, you know, read a little bit about this and seen and, and talked to some other convicted felons. You can see how and why people end up going back to prison, right? Or or you know, turning towards homelessness or crime or again, whatever it is, because they can't get. Become gainfully employed, get a, a regular, like a decent job, making good money, with that conviction that stays with them for life because of all these laws that you said. Now I'm curious in in the research that you did, you know, I would imagine obviously there's some laws by state, right? There's some regulations in place, but it also sounds like a lot of organizations have their own rules that they put in place saying we won't hire a convicted felon for any role in this organization. Is that true?
0: One hundred percent. And mm-hmm. so the inter- I'll just run through a little data with you. So everybody in the U.S., especially since uh, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, found out about mass incarceration, right? In the 90s, we we passed this crime bill and we started incarcerating mostly black and brown people and, and indigenous people by the millions, right? And so we currently have in the U.S. 80 million people with a conviction history. Wow. 20 million of those have been to prison or jail, right? So- You're going to, as an organization, run into somebody with a conviction when you are assessing talent, right? Of those 80 million, 73 million have no further criminal legal system involvement. So most people move on. Some people do go back, right? For various reasons, it could be more than not getting a job. It could be like mental illness or drug addiction or, you know, trauma that they haven't worked out for themselves, right? But for the most part, 95% of us move on with our lives. What we move on into is a is economic instability, right? So most of us are out there working you know, and, and we are skilled, we are unskilled, we mostly skilled, right? And we're stuck in roles and in companies or in, in uh, industries that are, you know, like, we'll take it. But, you know, man, if given the opportunity, boom, again, like I'm saying, right? So, The resilience piece is there. I cannot tell you how many times I hear from people over and over and over who are already professionals in their own right or already doing well, who tried to go somewhere else, maybe up in their company or apply for something outside of the bubble that already knows who they are or didn't ask them and they can just be themselves in an organization and thrive, right? But try going above or trying to move somewhere else, it's not working. It's not happening. Right. Like over and over and over. What happens is that once we get to the background check. Right. Anybody that's otherwise qualified is reconvicted and the offer is rescinded. And the thing is, is like companies like they are either we had a system of mass incarceration or we didn't. Right, and so we all agree that we over-incarcerated too many people over the last thirty years, and yet when we come to the, you know, be employed or apply for housing or even some education programs, it's like, well, we can't take you, mm. right? Like you, crime, like. So, <laughs> like so really just all. just to address
1: that, yeah. you're 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 alluding to some realization here that the U.S., from what I understand, has the highest rate of incarceration in the world, right? There's. Yeah you've millions of people with experience being incarcerated some justifiably yep. some maybe not justifiably yep. obviously as you mentioned there were very harsh laws around drugs in the 1990s and going back to yep. the Clinton administration and and others yep. as well and some of those things are being repealed that you know some states and even federal government are doing things to try to pull back from so we don't have so many people getting incarcerated when maybe they don't need to be and yet nothing right. is really being done you're saying on the employment side so the people when nothing. they do get out they can't go back to being gainfully employed contributing members of society
0: i'm going to tell you a couple of stories so okay. this also happens to people who never went to prison or jail hmm. right so you can have been, gotten a fine you can have gotten like you know a probation or something like so or so there's a guy that i met who messaged me on linkedin and he has a harvard mba And he, four years ago, had an alcohol problem, got in a fight with the (laughs) cop who arrested him for DUI and had an assault, right? Like, you know, the guy, you know, like, like, is that the worst thing in the world? Probably not, right? Is it bad? Of course. It's four years later, he was sentenced to 30 days in jail. And he still cannot find a job in his industry with a (sighs) Harvard BA. This is a Straight white guy, right? We think, oh, it's fine for everybody. No, it isn't. And so he is literally painting houses and teaching yoga because he cannot find a job in his industry. I know of a guy that uh, reached out to me who was out for six years, was working in talent recruitment. He was on a contract with Microsoft and you know, working with them for two years. His The guy that was his uh, supervisor, said I want you to apply for a position and he said I don't know and he said no I want you to apply for it so he applies for it he goes through all of the gauntlet of uh, recruiting and you know all of it mm-hmm. and then at the end they pulled his background check and they rescinded the offer even though he'd already been doing the same job as a contractor mm-hmm. for 2 years right and it It's painful, right? I I see companies do this all over or over and over and over. And I apologize for naming them, but here's the thing. Like, I don't want to shame anybody. I want to shine a light on it, right? I want you to think about what's really happening here. There are so many markers of stability there for them to see. But what I see and what I know in dealing with companies is they are not operationalizing this commitment. You need an education around This particular issue, because again, 80 million people with a conviction, not all of them have been to prison or jail. Right. And so when you see things like an assault, that seems really, really scary. If you see things like, you know, like theft or whatever, it feels really scary. Right. My crimes are financial. Women's crimes are financial. Hmm. Right. We are usually in very dire straits. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, tons of trauma, maybe other, you know, abuses and stuff like that. And in desperation, trying to keep ourselves safe, we, you know, obviously need money, right? And do dumb things to get it, right? And so can people move on from that? We do it by the millions, Right, so like, there's this idea that that people just need to be educated about what it all means, instead of yeah. saying, "Oh, this person's a criminal." They are not, you know, they're not worth hiring. It's Once you're a criminal, risk.
1: you're always a criminal. Right? It's is there, not true. Is there any delineation by any organizations to say, you know, on, on the type of crime? Like, obviously, I would understand you wouldn't want to hire someone who's been convicted of murder or rape or child That's not abuse. True. Right? Okay, it's not
0: true. So. Right. So there is delineation. We're always saying, you know, everybody but violent crime. Right. And, and listen, we all need to have a conversation about sex offenses. Right. So mm-hmm. like people that are predators are in prison for a long, 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 long time. Right. And so most people are convicted of low level offenses in that area. And then other people that are convicted of violent crimes are usually very young men, black Mm-hmm. given violent charges that white young men are not given right so mm-hmm. when we overcriminalize we overcriminalize black men and what that means is we give black men charges we do not give white people and that is statistically true mm-hmm. and employers need to like understand that and the two groups that recidivate or commit new crimes again at the lowest rate are people with violent crimes and people with sex offenses mm. right And so, yeah, and so this idea that, you know, like, everybody's a predator, everybody convicted of a sex offense is, you know, going to get somebody, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. And so, and the same thing about violent crimes, murder, all of that, right? People convicted of murder do massively long sentences, they come out, they're done. It's usually a one and done, right? And they literally recidivate at, like, the 2% level. And so, like, you know, and you wouldn't know that unless you got the education. So I'm going to go back to- I liken this whole movement around formerly incarcerated talent and the education that employers need to the LGBTQ movement in 80s and 90s. So when the AIDS crisis started to, you know, really come out, come out, and that's an interesting turn of phrase, because uh, of that, LGBTQ people were like, we need to come out as well. Right. Like we've been hiding. We've been. You know, hiding in plain sight, working alongside everybody, living alongside everybody. And you think that there's not gay people in our culture and in our society. And you're not, you're not right. And -hmm. so people started to come out and they said, we're not going to take this anymore. We need to. We need to shine a light on this very, very serious problem of AIDS. And we need to stop the discrimination because what invariably happened after that was a backlash by employers. Employers started firing people that were LGBTQ. They started looking at health records to see if people had AIDS that were working for them already, because this is how HIPAA laws were created, by the way. They would interview people and then pull background, like uh, uh, not background, but health records, and and then they started saying, "Oh, well, actually, they don't they don't have AIDS or HIV, but but they do have diabetes. We're not going to hire them, right?" And this is how all the HIPAA laws came in. And so, mm. over the course of the '90s and the 2000s. Corporate America really started to do some education on the LGBTQ community. And there were, I don't know if you remember this, but tons and tons of trainings about bias and stigma and, you know, discrimination and all of that. And I feel like there needs to be the same type of energy and campaign toward people with conviction history so that we can avoid this type of discrimination, because ultimately this is a DEI issue. If we're not including people with convictions, we are not including Black and Native American people because Mm. of the incarceration rates, right? So like, yeah, it's pretty bad. So we incarcerate one of every 1,400 white people and one of every 300, excuse me, thank you, uh, Black and Native people, right? We just over-incarcerate them. And so if we have these blanket policies or these blanket agreements inside of our companies that say we're not going to hire people with convictions, and we also say, on the other hand, we want a more diverse workforce, Mm. you're in trouble. Let's address this issue because, you know.
1: We want more talent uh, of color, right? People of color in our organization to create a more diverse workforce. And we have to recognize that they have a higher rate of incarceration. A lot of it is for things they did in the past that they're not going to do again. If if they
0: did it at all. If they did it at all, right? I can tell you by your zip code, how many times you're going to be pulled over by the police. Mm. I can tell you by your zip code, how many convictions you're going to have for misdemeanors. Right. I can tell you by your zip code how many times you're going to be harassed and eventually jailed over and over and over so that you look like a criminal.
1: Right. Right. We all gained a lot more awareness about this as a right, you know, as a result of the social justice movement that started in 2020. And I think that we we realize that there's definitely a a systemic issue that still needs to be addressed by government organizations. I'm curious from a more of a private organization, you know, from a company perspective, especially for people listening who work in talent development and say, well, you know, I don't work in government. I can't, I can vote. I can't necessarily change the laws or force the police not to be biased. Obviously we're all making a movement to away from that, trying to reduce racism and things like that. But what can we do in our organizations to help solve this problem to hire and develop more of these underrepresented or underdeveloped talent?
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things. Again, education is key. And I really want people to understand that I'm talking about two groups here. There's one group of people who are recently released or recently passed a conviction that are still on probation and parole that do need support right? So they're like at that one to three year past their conviction or their release, whatever that is. They could have been convicted long ago, but maybe they did some jail or or prison time. And I'm talking about people that are recently past this, right? And that group is a different group from the people that have moved on with their lives, the 73 million Mm -hmm. who are not under any sort of you know, legal system
1: or house arrest or any other requirements,
0: none of that, right. They're all done with it. And yet they're out there living their lives. They've got experience, they've got education, they've got all these other things, and yet are still being locked out of our economy. They're still like this talent is out there and not being accessed, developed, screened correctly. I believe that right now in the talent space, we are screening people out rather than screening people in. We are. We're not trying to like find the good fit. We're trying to find the perfect fit, mm. right? And so when somebody comes with, you know, the experience, the education, uh, all of the all of the things, and then the background check is pulled, and the offer is rescinded, and it happens more than you think. Then because you're you saying know,
1: organizations are are searching for quote unquote perfect, which is they fit all the requirements and they have a clean background, they never committed any crimes, because we think. Right? And I'd be curious, you know, where some of these rules came from. If there is any type of data to back it up, we think if they committed a crime in the past, they might be a problem in the future. So we're not going to hire them. I know you're saying that's not you know true, exactly where it came from. right? It
0: came from the background check industry. Ah. I need to sell you a product. And if I can keep you safe, And you know, our little hypothalamuses, our little lizard brains really, really is
1: working on fear. And
0: so I'm going to keep the criminals out of your organization. Mm. I'm going to keep you safe, right? You're going to pull, we're going to use our product. You're going to use our algorithm and we're going to make sure that you do X, Y, Z. And what we're doing is we're painting ourselves into a corner, right? And so the idea that somebody 12 years past a conviction, past a release date is still a threat to an organization that's working on what, you know, like mortgages or still a threat to an organization. That's a union that's trying to, you know, organize workers. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And, and we really need to get in the weeds of this. Cause here's the thing we've always had people with conviction histories, but we haven't always had access to data Right, and so say in the seventies and eighties, and even in the nineties, right? Like you, it was a big deal to try and get a background check. You had to go to court, you know, houses. You had to, do, you know, and so people were hired, and you know, there wasn't like this. You can't like pinpoint a time where there were so many crimes being committed on the job. You could tell that there was an improvement because of the background check policy.
1: Yeah, it's
0: just not true you know, that most of the crimes that are committed at work are committed by people that already work there without convictions. Like that's a historical fact. And, you know, like, and most of the crimes that are committed are not committed at work. Right. Right, And so like there, it's, it seems like this boogeyman thing that's used to sell background checks and algorithms
1: and yeah. So, so yeah, organizations are, they're buying the background checks they're they're obviously doing this to try to keep themselves and their colleagues safe right we're going to keep people safe by not bringing in convicted criminals who might yeah. you know commit crimes again you're saying yeah. that the data shows that most people don't commit crimes again most of the crimes yeah. are committed by first time offenders yeah. inside organizations what what can we do i know you you connected this to the de you know diversity equity inclusion belonging movement which has yeah. obviously been big on helping people from different backgrounds, people of color, LGBTQ movement has been huge. We've seen more and more of a movement around neurodiversity. This is something that I haven't heard about. So is this a charge that can be taken up by DEIB? Are you seeing that in organizations? What what can L&D and DEI do to make an impact here?
0: Yeah, I am absolutely not seeing that within organizations, which makes me sad because here's the thing. If you are a company that is you know, fully invested in DEIB and you are not doing something about this, you are not fully invested in DEIB. There is no way on earth that you can say that you want to recruit diverse talent and not also operationalize a commitment to fair chance hiring. How can you when we have literally over-incarcerated and over-criminalized Black and Native people in this nation? right? Like, like everybody says, I want to hire Black people. Okay. And we also need to address the fact that we have harmed them in this way. And if you don't have a strategy other than, you know, uh, you have to pass a background check, you can't have all of this, right? Like we're intentionally locking people out. To my mind, we're circumventing protected class laws by creating these rules, right? And so- You know, so here are all the groups that are over-criminalized and over-incarcerated. Black and Native people first, other brown people. Women had the highest incarceration rate since the 90s, over 800%, and LGBTQ people. So everybody from every marginalized community, and if you've got like, you know, identities that cross all those, right? Forget it, right? So, all of the people from marginalized communities are over criminalized and over incarcerated. We just simply do not punish straight, white, cis men the way that we do people that are marginalized. It's, uh, you know, and so. I'm not telling everybody to hire people straight out of prison. I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. I think there are organizations and companies that can do that and they should. And that's wonderful. But when you're sitting with somebody in front of you, who's, you know, six years past a a theft for which they paid a fine and did six months of probation and you tell them no. What? And there's, you know, like there's clear markers of stability there you know, six years, how could six years not be a testament to rehabilitation? Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand it. Right. And this idea that, you know, like they're but for, you know, being caught many people, I mean, are technically <laughs> criminals. There's a lot of right? criminals that
1: haven't been caught. Right. right?
0: That ago. haven't been caught. that have done really dumb stuff. So, yeah. And, and, you know, it seems reductive, but that's why the education is so necessary. Right. Let's get into the weeds of this. Let's try to fully understand people. And, you know, what what markets of stability look like? How can this organization operationalize this commitment, but also maintain safety and productivity? Right. Right. So, like, I'm in a heavily regulated sector. I have an energy company. I'm not hiring anybody that's recently released. Good. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Don't. But if I am, say, a union welder and I come to your organization, I'm sent by the union hall and I've got, I've been out for, say, six years. My crime happened eight years ago. I became a welder in prison. I was an apprentice when I came out. And now I'm a journey person. And I've got the same hours as everybody else. I've been working on the same jobs as everybody else. But you're heavily regulated and you have to turn me down. What does that do for the energy sector? What does that do for my life, right? And like, and we're not turning down somebody that's like off the street. If you're a journeyman welder, you've got a truck note. You've got good credit, right? Like you're probably making a ton of money. And yet you can't work for this company because of something that you were convicted for eight years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if you think about that, and like, this is where the education comes in. If you're convicted eight years ago, that means that your crime happened probably two years before that. So we're talking about a full 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, can we not repeal or amend these regulatory barriers? Right. Can we not take a look at why the no is the blanket no is there right? So yeah, so I'm just really dug in on all these issues. I feel like Don Quixote tilting at windmills, right? Not in the consciousness. It doesn't, and I'll be honest, doesn't seem like companies really don't want to dig into this, but I'm going to keep- I was, I was
1: going to ask you, have, have you seen organizations make changes? Are there organizations out there that have said, no, we realize there's some great talent here. We're going to get rid of that rule or that background check. Or we're going to say, if you're five years removed and a model citizen, then we're we're, we're willing to hire you? Are you, are you seeing any changes so far?
0: It's so rare. No, mm. no, I see pu- people making public pron- pronouncements about it. And then I hear from people all over the nation that says, Hey, I applied at that company because they said, you know, we are a second chance uh, employer. I have a master's degree. I was working at Johns Hopkins, you know, for seven years and I applied at, Microsoft, and they rescinded the offer. And this person had been out for eleven years.
1: Mm. So, what are people? This formerly incarcerated talent, like you and many others, I know you're you're kind of off on your own now, doing consulting and running the nonprofit. What are people doing mm. if they can't get these jobs? Are you seeing a, you know a higher rate of freelancing? Mm. Obviously, a lot of people that maybe can't get a job may end up on the streets, and that's that's horrible. But for people that have some resources, are they finding other ways to to make money? Yeah.
0: Sure. Right. Like, so it's a real big economy. And so we figure it out, right? Some of us are entrepreneurs. Some of us are, you know, we get an education in a field where we know we can, you know, find work. We find somebody to hire us and we stay with them forever, even though we would like to go do something else. Or maybe we are, you know, maybe we started a company that has a seven-year look back and they hire us or they don't have a background check at all. And then we want to go to management. But with management comes a full background check. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting mm-hmm. myself. That. Yeah. And so it's a, it's kind of messy, right? Like like these blanket no's without the benefit of looking at people's markers of stability, to my mind, are driving labor shortages. Yeah. Right? So like I said, if you... Think about how desperately the energy sector needs jobs, but they're very, he- or excuse me, labor, but they're very heavily regulated, right? And so if you've got two or more convictions from years and years ago, so say you're a drug addict or you're a drug dealer and you have a distribution and you have some possession of stolen property charges, and then you've got, you know, like, you know, maybe one other, maybe you ended up with an assault somewhere. 15 years ago, you're automatically disqualified Hmm. for life, right? And you could have been on the straight and narrow forever. And it's like, why would you punish somebody forever? Yeah. Like I'm not asking you to I'm not asking you to hire somebody that's you know two years past that type of behavior, right? But 15 years isn't a testament. Plus, it's not like they're going from this to the 15 years. It's like, what's happened in the 15 years? You know, they've worked for other companies, right? Like, again, you know, this person, this welder probably has a house, like he's creditworthy.
1: You're not not hiring them right out of prison, like we said. You're talking about people with experience in society.
0: That's the other thing that really sticks in my craw is that if you have a financial setback in this nation, Right. Say you go, and and lots of people did in the recession, right? Say you go bankrupt somehow, or you just were, you know, didn't have the wherewithal to manage your credit and you flop over time and through hard work. You can keep paying down your debt and then get back to even again, right? And I think after
1: seven years, the bankruptcy comes off of your record. Well, even even
0: before that, right? So say you never even do a bankruptcy. Say you mess up your credit. just ruin your
1: credit because you didn't pay your bills. ruin your
0: credit and then you work really hard to get out of that. And then eventually they'll give you a credit card again, Mm -hmm. right? And then- And then if if you pay that, right, regularly, they'll give you another couple, three more. And then you're going to get a car loan, right? And then you're going to get a house loan. And you are even Steven again. There's no such mechanism for a conviction history, Mm. right? I've been out 21 years, 21. And, you know, like, what is the deal? Why can't I be credit worthy again? Why why am I not worthy again, right? And so at what point are we going to create a mechanism where –
1: you can, kind of can, earn, you can earn your credibility it, back to say, look, still, I'm a part of right. society. Give me a job, right. this and that. Exactly. So, Susan, this is, this is so eye-opening and it's just given me so much to think about. We've got to wrap this up. For yeah, our no, listeners it, who work in talent development, mostly in large yeah. organizations, some medium, some smaller, mm-hmm. what's one more thing you want to leave them with that you want people to be thinking about in these organizations? You know, is it going to the powers that be in HR and talent acquisition saying, hey, we need to think about changing this rule. Is it, um, you know, asking those questions up front and looking for ways around the system when you find great talent that happens to have an incarceration? Is it maybe even looking for, if you don't have that rule, some of those uh, formerly incarcerated people who might be really talented and locked out of other organizations? Like, what do you want people to be, what do you want to leave people with?
0: That's late stage. I think I want to leave people with the fact that you need some education on this, mm. right? Like. I don't think people really understand the depth and the breadth and the data. And I don't think they do know how to look at markers of stability for formerly incarcerated talent, especially and other people with conviction histories. And so I think that every organization needs to do what they did back in the 90s and 2000s with uh, LGBTQ workers and the discrimination that they were facing, right? Because to my mind, this is discrimination. How can this not be discrimination if after 12 years of being out and working, I'm only being rescinded based on the background check, right? It's a form of discrimination. We're somehow agreeing that it's not. And so is there, I know that people a lot of money into talent development and into DEI and it's a really understanding how to do their jobs well and you know to my mind you start with the education what does this mean what does this mean for our organization uh we already have these things going on so we think that it's enough is it right and and really can we operationalize a commitment that is more inclusive right are we locking people out or are we good with this if i got some more information would i make adjustments right? Is what we're doing enough or are we unintentionally discriminating? Which you are, you You really Mm -hmm. are. And yeah, just opening up their minds just a little bit. Like
1: like with LGBTQ, like you said, in in the 80s and 90s, starts with education and awareness and then more conversations. And we can start to talk about how can we change some of these things, stop discriminating against people who have been incarcerated in the past and start being finding ways to hire more of these really talented people who are kind of locked out of our system. Susan, yeah. this has been uh, so eye-opening. It's been interesting, fantastic. You're obviously very clearly, very passionate about this subject. And I'm so glad that you're out there spreading the education for anybody listening that wants to get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you're doing. Where's the best place for them to go?
0: Go to my website, SusanMasonConsulting.com. You can contact me there. Yeah, you can go to my LinkedIn page as well, Susan Mason, and learn a li- little bit more about you know what we're doing and how we're doing it. And if you want to have a chat with me on my website, there's a link to um, my email as well. It's Susan at Susan Mason Consulting. It's not difficult. And yeah, you can email or get to my website and let's chat. Okay.
1: All right. SusanMasonConsulting.com. Susan's on LinkedIn as well. Susan, thank you again. Hang on because we've got our bonus Q&A. We're recording as well, but this has been really so interesting and uh, I'm so glad that we're connected and you are leading this movement. So thanks again for coming on and I look forward to talking with you more soon.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: All right that will do it for my interview with susan mason about hiring and bringing awareness to the rights of informally incarcerated talent this was an eye-opening episode for me something that i've had some cursory knowledge of i've done a little bit of reading and had a few conversations but never really dived in and heard a lot of the challenges that go with being formerly incarcerated and people who have done their time for crimes that maybe weren't even violent or or harmful to others or society that have been out for 5, 10, 15, or even 20 years, still not being able to find employment really for life seems like something that we may want to look at changing, right? That not only the laws on the books of different states or a federal government, but organizations that are paying for background checks and ruling out automatically talent that would otherwise be a great fit or a great addition to the culture and the organization that they're trying to work for. And I don't have the answers here. I know that every case is probably going to be different. I'm not sure where you are on this issue or this journey. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it like me mm <laughs> But it's definitely something worth looking more into and educating yourself about, and maybe even having some conversations with people inside your organization, because there could be some great talent, especially as we get into the next few years, and we may see another war for talent, a talent shortage. There could be some great talent out there that are just inaccessible because of some rules that were put on the books long ago without any great reason behind it. So again, I don't have the answers, but some really great information here and and something that some of you may want to take and do something about inside your organization's We're definitely going to be having some conversations about this and other DEI issues inside the Talent Development Think Tank community. And if you're not a member, I would highly encourage you to come check it out and come join us because this is the place where you get to hear from guest speakers, from experts. You get to ask questions. You get to engage and interact with other talent development leaders and professionals You get to build relationships and make friends, maybe even find a job if that's something you're looking for down the line, and up your game, really, and just improve your capabilities. Our goal is to help you become more successful in your career in talent development, and our community meets on a regular basis. We have calls. We have an online community where we share resources, ask questions, and help each other out, as well as a whole library of past recordings from the last three and a half years, and it's just going on and on and on. We also have a conference coming up at the end of the year in November 2024 in Orlando, and uh, we'd love for you to join our community as well as join us at our conference. All the information is on our website at tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. You can click on podcast, conference, or community there to find more information. And if you want to talk to me, about the community or about doing a keynote or training inside your organization, you can always reach out to me, Andy, at andystorch.com. All right, thank you again for listening. I appreciate you listening, subscribing, sharing with others, recommending to your friends, leaving reviews on the podcast app that you listen to. All of it's very helpful. For me and really helpful for others in finding the show and educating themselves and growing their careers in talent development so thank you again i look forward to talking with you more soon and if i could make one recommendation with all the challenges that you might be facing in your job or your career or your life is to find a little bit of gratitude at some point today and this week for everything and anything going on in your life just a little bit of gratitude can completely shift things in your mindset so i hope you can do that and i will talk to you next time